Morning. Have you ever noticed, uh, and I just thought I'd mention this in passing, I've, uh, I find it interesting, you ever notice the age of the person up here giving the announcements by the size of their electronic device? <laughs> and if you see them that are my age and you see them messing with it, they're actually blowing up the letters so they can read it. So, anyway, I'm here to uh, mention the uh, missions care team and the dollars for missions. Uh, as you know, we are trying every month to present to you uh, a new missionary uh, endeavor that we would like to help our, in, our, in helping our missionaries. And in this particular one, uh, it happens to be very uh, good timing that John was up here earlier. And what we're going to do is we're going to, this, this time, give half of what we collect here uh, for the dollar for missions to the castles so that they can have the money that they need after they get home to acclimate and get back into um, society and getting a job and so forth. If you read the uh, email that they sent out this week, um, Blake actually made this request. He said, pray for my family as we begin to transition back to the U.S. Pray specifically that I may find the right job that will allow me to finish seminary and also to support my family. So that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to give them a little bit of breathing room so that they can get back into it and find a job and be able to uh, get back into society and so forth. So this is the purpose of it this month. The other half will be going to our general missions fund or, as we used to call it, MASH, in case you're wondering where they're going. Now, last month, um, we didn't announce this, but I wanted to, to share with you for the Baldwins and collecting the money for their um, his passport situation where he had his, his uh, bag stolen and all that stuff was, was gone, basically, um, we ended up catch, uh, collecting from Dollar for Mission $766 to send them to help them out. So that's what you folks did, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to present uh, the needs and th so that you as a church family can be a part of what's going on out there with these missionaries. And hopefully in the next uh, couple months, we'll start getting some feedback from them and we'll be able to share that with you and how much they were blessed by what we've been able to do for them. So I would encourage you today, pull out that dollar and put it in the basket. Make sure that you're counting each member of your family. If you as um, empty nesters uh, need somebody to uh, you know, help along, I'm sure there's plenty of excuse me, families here that would be more than happy to be able to um, let you adopt one of their kids, all right? So if you would do that, uh, that would be great. All right, if you would now turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we'll read this morning's scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 6, and if you have one of the pew Bibles or the Bibles from the back, that's on page 993. <clears throat> We'll start with verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. God bless us. We're reading the word this morning. All right. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to do that, to turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6. But I'd like to ask you to take your Bible and your wallet and turn to that passage. The reason why I say that is because I want us to put our Bibles and our wallets together this morning. And I want us to ask, does God have any right to rule over that wallet? Does God have any right to speak about it? Does God have any right to open it? And that's a pressing question for us today. Now, what I don't want us to do today is for us to be thinking about somebody else, okay? I want us to be thinking about ourselves as we investigate God's Word on this subject, this very important subject, and I want us to consider together, what is it that God is speaking to me about? What is he talking to me about? So I just want to encourage you not to go home today, especially to your husband or your wife, and say, did you listen to that sermon? Did you hear what he said? And that's not going to be a helpful thing to do for your marriage. It won't be helpful or useful in your family. Let the Holy Spirit do a work of conviction, all right? And then dads, fathers, leaders, men in the home, you guys figure out what you need to do with this message and come to your wife and your family with a game plan so that your wife or uh, family isn't sitting around saying, is he going to do anything about this message? So let's, let's all just sort of come in with a spirit of humility this morning, and let's ask for God to direct us. So we're in a summer series, for those of us who are guests with us, called Extraordinary, Daily Life for the Glory of God. And the purpose of this series is for us to think through the ordinary things of life, like food and marriage and family and money and work and sleep and recreation. And we're asking the question, how do we do all that for the glory of God? In other words, so we don't just treat it as some mundane thing, but we see it as, as, as a vital part of our worship. And today we come to the subject of money. Money is obviously a very important subject in the Bible. Uh, unfortunately, though, when many churches talk about money, it's often unhelpful there are a lot of prosperity preachers. Uh, there's prosperity teaching even in our own community. And what I mean by that is this teaching of, you know, if you just sow your seed, you just give your money, you give your stuff to God's kingdom, particularly to this church, then God will bless you and, and you'll get rich and healthy and wealthy and all that. We have that kind of junk in our own city. But what happens is the money is often so unhelpfully talked about in the context of the local church and then some of these pastors are just so slick, they figure out a way to get it into every sermon. So we're going to get to the tithe part, right? So here we are, and so we want more of your money. And you just feel like, man, it just seems so disingenuous, and it just, it's sad. And we've had a lot of people, just, just letting you know, who have come to our church over the years and have said, you know, one of the things that we're thankful for about Heritage Baptist Church is you guys don't talk about money all the time. And it's interesting because I get the idea that apparently wherever they're coming from, they're hearing this all the time. And, and it's good to talk about money. We must do that. But it's like if you've got to have to do that every Sunday, it becomes kind of an issue. Something weird is up. And so that seems like there's a real problem there. I would say if we failed in an area, it's that we haven't talked about it enough. You know, as ironic as that sounds, we, we rarely talk about money at our church. So let me just be really clear at the outset what I'm not doing with this message 
Uh, we're not in the middle of a building project. This isn't a fundraising or capital campaign for our church. In fact, we have no agenda for this message except to simply give you a biblical theology of money. Uh, and you say, well, why money? Well, I mean, it's part of this summer series. We're talking about ordinary things. Money is one of the ordinary things of life. In fact, it's quite an important ordinary thing of life. And so we need to know how to handle it for God's glory. Now, I hope that qualification is helpful for some of you. So we're going to stay in the Bible. We're going to just stay right here in the text. I have no agenda. This is not meant to be self-serving in any way. Uh, I'm here to herald God's word to you on this subject. So this message is all about faithfulness to God and a deeper understanding about what he says regarding money. So let's start here. All right. Money is a significant issue in the Bible. 15% of everything Jesus taught about, 15% in the Gospels, had something to do with money or possessions. Which, by the way, that's, that's more than heaven and hell combined. So that's a lot of material. Um, and so why? why? Why is there so much teaching here? Well, because there's a direct correlation between the vitality of your spiritual life and how you handle money. A huge connection. Uh, Let me give you a grid up front, okay? When the Bible speaks about wealth, it talks in four ways, four categories. First, we have the godly poor. And second, we have the godly rich. And then we have the ungodly poor. And then we have the ungodly rich. We really see all four of those categories in Scripture. The godly poor, of course, would include Jesus and his family. Uh, it would include a host of other biblical characters, Ruth, for example. Or then we have the widows that James talks about. In our day, you know what it would include? The single mom, you know, who works hard to make ends meet so she can take care of her kids. The godly rich, on the other hand, would include a whole host of other biblical characters. So we have Abraham, Job, who was filthy rich, but yet very righteous. So we just want to make sure we have that category. All the godly kings, kings like Josiah. And then we have Joseph of Arimathea. And what did he do? He gave Jesus a rich man's tomb at his death. And then we have, it would include Lydia. Lydia who funded most, uh, much of the New Testament ministry that we see. In our day, we have some examples of this, even in our own church, of those who are godly and rich in this world. And I praise God for that. I'm immensely thankful as a pastor for such generous people. Um, we ha- then you have the ungodly poor, which would include people in the Bible, all the warnings against those who don't work. So Paul says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. But you can work. You should be working. But you've got some laziness. You have something at work, just idle, people being idle, not working. They're poor, but they're not working, but they could. In our culture, we see this all over the place. It's sad. And then we have the ungodly rich in Scripture. We see this throughout the Bible. Uh, Herod, the Herodian dynasty, all the Herods, King Herod, the pharaohs of Egypt. These were all the godless political leaders of the day with a ton of money. This would also include the rich young ruler uh, that Jesus addressed. These are people who have money, fame, power, prestige. But the way they got their money and what they did with their money was very ungodly. So... With that in mind, let's just stay right here in 1 Timothy 6. And I have one point this morning that I want to drive all of our thinking. All right? One statement. And if you get this, then you really get the whole sermon. All right? And I'm about to say this in one thesis. Here it is. Money, manage it wisely, esteem it rightly, share it generously, or it will destroy you. 
Do you hear that? Manage it wisely, esteem it rightly, share it generously, or it will destroy you. So let's start with the destructive power of money first, and then we'll talk about how to use it rightly. This week I read Proverbs again, uh, went all the way through it, and pulled out the most important verses as it relates to money. So we're going to be all over Scripture. You know what I love to hear? I love to hear the pages of your Bibles turning. Okay, so let's do that. Let's just hear it. I want to hear the pages of your Bibles turning. So grab them, put them in your lap. We're going to be all over Scripture today. That's a good sound. It's the sound of obedience. It's the sound of worship. So let's do that. And as we look at these texts, I also want you to do something unique, something different. If you don't mind marking up your Bible, if you're a fan of that, uh, underlining, writing things, circling things, okay, grab your pen, grab your pencil. I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to, every time we consider a verse about money today, put a little dollar sign beside that text, because the next time you go through the Bible this week, next week, six months, a year from now, you better locate all of what God is saying on this great subject. Now, before we go any further, let me just pause. Let me just pray and ask for God's help. Father, we, we do pray for your help this morning. And this is an area of bondage where the enemy has his claws sometimes more deeply than any other aspect of our life. And so we know that there are, in fact, even this morning, many marriages that are struggling over this very issue. And it's, and it's a huge marital source of conflict. And so would you help us wash our minds this morning with a word so that we can think biblically about this subject, leading us to freedom, Lord, freedom from the bondage that money so often has on us. God, would you break the bondages in our hearts? And as only you can do with the truth of your word, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go for it. Here we go. The first word that I want to consider this morning is the word destroy. When it comes to money, manage it wisely, esteem it rightly, share it generously, or it will what? Destroy you. Destroy you. Do you believe that? Does money really have the power to... Are you just being a little melodramatic, Jonathan? You know, a shock effect, right? So you grab people's attention? Or do you really think money honestly has the power to destroy a person's life? Yes, I do. Don't you? Don't you? I mean, let's look at Paul's words here. 1 Timothy 6, he says in verse 9... But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. That's not a positive word. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into two words, into two things, ruin and destruction. That doesn't sound very helpful. Ten, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some people have wandered away from the faith. God forbid they've wandered away from the faith. Right? And pierced themselves with many pangs. I get this picture, you know, of Lord of the Rings, you know, like the my precious, you know, this 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 desire, this craving, this lust, this I gotta have it. You know? And when you get that way with money, you are big time in trouble. You see, so here's one man's testimony. See if you can identify who this is. He said, I sit in my house in Buffalo. Uh, I'm so lonely at times, it's unbelievable. Life has been good to me. I have a great wife, good kids, a lot of money, even health. But I'm lonely and bored. I've often wondered why so many rich people commit suicide. Now I understand. Money sure isn't a cure-all. Who said that? O.J. Simpson. People Magazine is where I found that quote. 
Can money destroy? Oh yeah. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever tried to thread a needle, get a needle into that little eye at the top of the... Have you ever tried to do that, get, get the thread through there? I, it takes forever to, to do that. I can't imagine trying to get a camel through there, can you? Can you get a camel through there? What's Jesus saying? He's saying it's impossible. He's saying, he's saying it's almost impossible to, to, to do that. He's saying for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. Is he saying it's totally impossible? No, he's not saying that. But what he is saying is that it's rare. It's really, really, really rare to find a rich man who loves God more than his money. Really rare. In short, what Jesus is saying is that there's something about having a lot of money that makes me think I only need God a little bit. And then there's something about having very little that makes me see that, oh, I need God a lot. So I need him desperately. So you might be saying, so, okay, so is it possible to have a lot of money and still be like, oh, I need God a lot? Is, is that possible? It is possible. Certainly it's possible. And I'll get to that in a moment. But first, let me ask you a question. Is hell real? Now, I know we know the answer to that question, but just think for a moment. Is there a real place right now where those who have died outside of Christ are suffering under the wrath of God? Is there? And if you could interview people right now in hell, what do you think they would say? I think they would say, I never, ever thought I would be here. But you know, if you understand Scripture correctly, none of us should be surprised. If we interviewed people in hell, many of them would say, you know what threw me in here? Anchor, the, the anchor that threw me down in here was money. Money ruined me. Money threw me in here. Money took me down. Proverbs 11.4, here's, here's a little money sign. Proverbs 11.4 says, Riches do not prosper in the day of wrath but righteousness delivers from death. Now listen, a time is coming. The Bible calls it the great day of the Lord. It calls it the day of judgment, the day of wrath. This is when all humanity would be standing. I mean, every man and every woman and every child before God on that great day. And I can assure you that prosperity will not help you one bit on that day. I mean, you're not going to be able to run to an ATM. Oh God, hold on real quick before you judge me. Let me grab some money out of my ATM and I'll give it to you to appease your wrath. What a joke. Your money isn't going to serve you on that last day when you stand before God. So what is the, what, what's going to happen? So here's the thing. Are we all on the same page this morning that money can destroy us? Paul says those who have a desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into two things, ruin and destruction. Well, that's the negative side. All right, now I want to talk about the positive side. And hopefully you're saying to yourself this morning, okay, I, I don't want to fall into ruin and destruction. I, I don't want anything to do with that. So what I want to know is this, is what can I do to sort of keep this from happening? Okay, and that's the rest of the message. Here's the first thing. Money, as I said, manage it wisely or it will destroy you. First Timothy 6, 9 gives us really kind of a negative description of, of what it looks like not to manage your money well. So if you're a person who's just not a good money manager, um, what does that look like? And verse 9 tells us, Paul says, when riches tempt a man, it causes him to fall into, what do we see? Senseless and harmful desires. Just circle those words. Senseless and harmful. Two things there. 
This is what happens when a man does not manage his money. He spends it on senseless and harmful things. The, the foolish man is a wasteful man. Uh, it, it's the gambling man who throws his money away on lottery tickets and casinos. Uh, it is the addict who spends his money on cartons of cigarettes and alcohol and drugs. It's the impulsive buyer who just has to have that new thing. It's the family that never sets a budget. They don't even know how to budget. I mean, it's just like we just kind of, well, I mean, do, I mean, I think we got enough money. Let's go for it. It's the kid who throws his money away on constant entertainment and junk food. It's the man who loves his hobbies. Uh, and he always is getting a new toy or new gadget while his family ekes by every month, paycheck to paycheck. It's the shopaholic wife who always has to go shopping for new clothes and new accessories and new shoes. And Paul says, foolish and senseless. So this is a stewardship issue. What we're to steward is our time, our talents, and our treasure. From the very beginning, God placed humans in charge of his possessions. And since we are stewards of all that God has entrusted us, we are to offer God three things. All right, here it is. An open hand. We extend an open hand to God. God has the right to do whatever he wants with, this, with his stuff. Not your stuff, his stuff. Number two, an open heart. Every spending decision, we come to a place where we realize every spending decision is really a spiritual decision. And then an open wallet, a willingness to, to give. Your checkbook reveals your heart. It reveals your management of money. So that's the first thing. Money is to be managed wisely. Second, money is to be esteemed rightly. We need a biblical perspective on money. There are so many wrong views of money. So many skewed perspectives. Here's one. Proverbs, here's another dollar sign. Proverbs 18:11 says, "The rich man's wealth is his strong city." Now, have you ever thought about what that means? The rich man's wealth is his strong city. What what does that mean? It means that a man thinks that his wealth is his security. Right? This 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 wallet, this bank account that I have, that's my security right there. That's my protection. It's the man who says, you know, I don't know what's going to come tomorrow. And frankly, I'm not really that concerned about it because I got a ton of cash in the bank. And so whatever happens, man, I can, I, I can take care of it. And also, you know, I, got all the, I can transfer my stocks into cash. So I'm well taken care of. It's the man who just says, you know, I'm, he's trusting his money. I wrote this down. Five wrong perspectives on money. Our culture is just filled with it. All right? Five wrong perspectives. Number one is money will make me happy. Isn't that one of the most seductive ones? Money will make me happy. No, money does not lead to happiness. It does not. I mean, O.J. Simpson's testimony, we could just, the, 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 our culture is replete with people who will tell you money does not make you happy. Do you, you know, we know this. Celebrities are not happy. They're filled. They're just loaded with money. Not at all. Number two, money will make me content. You know, man, if I just get that one thing, you know, I just, we just need that one thing. And if we can, we're just in a hard place. And if we can just get right around that corner and get that, you know, just that, just, if we could just get that, you know, then, then how many people have got that? Did it make you happy? Did it, did it make you content? No, 
No, yeah, like a bunch of times we've gotten that thing, and it hasn't, it hasn't panned out, it hasn't worked. Three, money will cause my family to appreciate me. Oh, this is an interesting one. I mean, at least someday my kids will say, you know, my dad was a good provider. You know, my dad worked hard and he spent himself. And, you know, and, and dad, you gave me the necessities of life. And, and dad, I'll forever be grateful for how hard you worked. Is that what's going to happen? I mean, honestly, let's be honest. Is that what the kids are going to say? Probably not. They'll probably say, dad, you worked really hard. In fact, you worked so hard that you were never around. I didn't know you. And they'll end up resenting you, Dad, for that. You're trying to bust your rear end to give them a better life. And in the process, they're just becoming disillusioned. This happens. Number four, money will grant me acceptance with others. Well, you know, people will like me more. You know, if I have money, I'll I'll be viewed as a, you know, as a a guy, a mover and a shaker. and, And I'll be, you know, I'll get somewhere in society. Sorry, Proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-two. Another dollar sign. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches, and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. Poverty will come upon him. Okay, well, okay, well then, Jonathan. Okay, well, forget about everyone else. Well, at least money. At least money will make me feel better about myself. I mean, if I, I, if I just had a ton of money in the bank, I would feel good about myself. You know, like I've arrived somewhere and, and no, no, don't, don't be so foolish. May God set us free from thinking that money can do anything, any of these things. It has no power to do these things. And because that's true, Solomon gives us another warning. He says in Proverbs 23, verse 4, he says, Do not wear yourself out getting rich. Cease from your consideration of it. That's a powerful verse. You know what he's saying? He's saying, knock it off. Knock it off, man. Go home. Turn the phone off. You don't need another business call. Give it a rest. And give yourself to things that really matter in life. Just quit, man. You got to know when to quit. You don't have to work that extra time and a half. Just let it go. Why? Proverbs 23, 5. Why? Here's why. He gives the next, the next verse. Because when you gaze upon riches, they disappear. For they make wings and fly into the sky like an eagle. Like, it's just a vain exercise. And so Paul warns us. He says, if you want to be rich, if your craving is to be rich more than anything else in this life, then you will fall into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Money is the universal passport to everywhere except heaven. And it is the universal passport to everything except happiness. And we just got to, we just got to own that. We just got to understand that. Money can buy you medicine, but it cannot buy you health. Money can buy you a house, but it cannot put you in a home. Money can buy you companionship, but it cannot give you true friends. Money can buy you entertainment, but not happiness. Money can buy you food, but not an appetite. Money can give you a bed, but not sleep. Money can give you a good life, but it will never give you eternal life. It just cannot accomplish those things. So don't live for money. Look at verse 10 in 1 Timothy 6. Paul says, For the love of money is a root 
of all kinds of evil. So how can I tell if I love money? I'm just asking myself this question this week. Because I, I, look, I was thinking, I know my own heart. If you knew my own heart, if you knew my heart, you wouldn't want to listen to me preach. And if I knew your heart, I wouldn't want to show up and preach to you. Okay? But we're all rotten when it comes to this. We are all sick. We are all diseased. We all have wrong perspectives on this subject. And I was just asking myself, challenging myself this week. So how can I tell if I love money? Jonathan, how do I know? How do you know if I love money? What's the test? Run, run this by yourself. Here's a list. Thoughts of money consume my day. When the financial successes of other people make me jealous. When I define success in terms of what I have rather than what I am in Christ or who I am in Christ. When my family is neglected in my pursuit of money. When I close my eyes to the genuine needs of others. When I live in the paralyzing fear of losing my money. When I'm prepared to borrow myself into debt to get what I want. And number eight, when God receives my leftovers rather than my first fruits. And for some of you, when God receives zero, zilch. I want you to think about your heart this morning. So we need to esteem money rightly. And that means that you should not be indifferent toward it. You know, because there's also this pious attitude, right? Some people say, you know, I don't, I don't care about money. The money doesn't consume me. I, I don't care about it. And that sounds really spiritual, but it's not. I mean, to be indifferent to money is to be like a bad worshiper. It's to, it's, it's, it's to, it's, it's to dishonor God because money is... A, a, an incredible way that we can worship God. You can do all kinds of worship to God with your money. And so we're not to be indifferent to money. On the other hand, we're not to love money because Paul says it's a root of all kinds of evil. So those are the two ditches. Don't be indifferent to it on the one hand. And on the other hand, you better not love it. You better not crave it. You better not despise it on the one hand. You better not crave it on the other. So the balanced position is use it for God's glory. In other words, manage it wisely. Esteem it rightly, as we're saying. These are the two things. All right, and so Paul says in verse 10, if you love money, you know, this has caused some people, this is striking language, to wander from the faith. Why do some people fall? Pastors are not immune from this. Pastors who go down because of money and riches. So this is serious stuff here. Are you a contented person? Paul says in verse 7, godliness is, with contentment is great gain. Why? Look at the text. He gives the reason. Next phrase, because we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. Do you see how Paul's logic works here? The wisdom of contentment is, is that it's not based in anything we have. It's not based in our possessions. Contentment is not found in the accumulation of stuff. And so Paul says in verse 8, if we have food and clothing with this, we shall be content. Are you a contented person? You see, discontentedness emerges when I'm seduced into believing that my life consists in the abundance of my possessions. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said a man's life does not consist 
in the abundance of his possessions. He says the very opposite. But our culture feeds you with that lie every day. It tells you that your significance, that your status, that your hopes in life are directly related to your abundance of possessions. And Jesus says, that's wrong. Jesus says, that's not true. Oh, that God would cleanse our thinking on this. It's not true. The Bible says, better the little the righteous have than the wealth of the wicked. Better to be a poor man who loves Jesus in a shack than to have your mansion on the beach or to be in Malibu with all your your servants in the house and all your cars and all your boats and all your yachts and all your money and all your property. Better to be a poor man in a shack. Contentedness is not found in adding up treasures beyond the daily necessities of food or clothing. Listen, a contented person is a contented person irrespective of the number of zeros in his bank account. A contented person is a contented person irrespective of the house they live in or the car they drive. And unless you and I get that spirit of contentment, we will be miserable in this life. So you know the next time you see that happy, old, contented man at McDonald's drinking his coffee? You ever seen that guy? Just looks like he's happy. And sometimes the simplicity of his life just kills you. You're just like, man, I wish I could have that. And you might be loaded. And you're craving this guy, this guy's life. Next time you see that guy, I want you to learn from him. If you could interview him, you know what I think he would say? Here's an old man with his coffee at McDonald's. You know what I think he would say? I think he would say something like this. I woke up again today, and that's amazing. I'm still alive. And the fact that I can get my feet on the ground and walk is a bonus. And everything beyond that is just fantastic, you know? He says, I found my socks and I actually got those suckers on. (laughs) You say, why are you so excited about that, man? He says, well, if you saw the state of my knees, you would know. And what else do you have? Well, I have a senior coffee. Well, what's a senior coffee? Well, that's, you know, of course you get it cheaper than if you're a junior. You get like a discount on it. (laughs) It's great. I mean, I get it for less money. What a wonderful life that I can get a coffee for a price like this, that I have my bus fare, that I can take the bus across town. I'm an old man. I've got a muffin. I've got a newspaper. I've got a coffee. What a life. Isn't it a great world? Are you a contented man? Are you a contented person? See, as Christians, if, if we're not going to lead an example by example in this, who is? I want you to think about what kind of impact your life could have, your family could have on your lost friends and neighbors if you're contented. Do you know that one of the most compelling things you can do for your neighbors and your lost friends is to show them, to let them see your family, that your family lives with a spirit of contentedness. Because it causes them to ask, you know, what's up with them? You know, they don't really have that much stuff, but they're so happy. Their kids are so happy. The family's just so happy. Well, we've seen two things this morning. Money is to be managed wisely. It's to be esteemed rightly. And finally, we are to share it generously. Share it generously. Now, of course, in order to do this, we have to break the bondage of money in our life. And so here's the thing. How do we break the grip, the power that money has over so many of us? All right. I I think it's very simple. 
You ready? Here it is. Here's the formula. How do you break the power of money in your life? Here it is. Give it away. I'm serious. Give it away. Give it away. Now, I'm not saying foolishly. I'm saying give it, learn how to give it away. So, like, don't be foolish. Like, support your family and make sure you have food on the table. But then beyond that, if you have food and clothing, then give it away. Jonathan already reminded us this morning that if Jesus took care of everything, you're free to just give it away, right? Because you're going to inherit the bank someday. It's all coming. So you don't need all these toys and things now because you're going to get it all someday. So just give it away. Just give it away. That's the thing. It's so easy to say that. It's so hard to do that. How do you gain, but how do you gain power over anything? How do you gain more energy? By expending it, exercising. How do you gain power over sin? By walking away from it and by exchanging the pleasure of sin for a superior pleasure in God. And in the same way, how do you gain power over money? By giving it away. That is, you control money. You don't let money control you. You say, I have dominion. I'm going to exercise dominion over this money. I'm going to control it. I'm going to funnel it. I'm going to channel it. I'm certainly not going to let it control me. Oh, God, help us. God, help us. Remember that the issue of giving is an issue of worship. You must understand something about ownership. This is not your money. This is God's money. And God is looking for people that he can trust. So, so let me ask you this question. When it comes to your money, do you think of yourself as an owner or as a steward? As an owner or as a manager? People with an ownership mindset, they say this. They say, number one, they say, I'm not God's slave. He doesn't own me like a possession. He's not in charge. He's not in control. And maybe if I want, I'll ask him to serve me. I'll ask God to do something for me. I'll ask him to do that. But he's certainly not going to rule over me. Number two, an ownership mindset says nothing I have belongs to God. What I drive, where I live, what I do belongs to me. It's all mine. This is not his. It's mine. And this wallet is mine. Number three, it says, I deserve everything I have worked for. Besides, this is just a principle in life. There are winners and there are losers. Survival of the fittest. I work my rear off. I have earned everything I have with sweat and blood. I work overtime. Don't you talk to me about my work ethic. I've earned everything I have. So whatever nice cars I have and whatever nice houses I have, I I worked for it. I got it. I worked harder. You lose. I win. I worked harder. Ownership mindset says, I only answer to myself. I'm not going to answer to God. I'm not going to give an account to, to some spirit being someday where I stand before him and say, yes, sir. I'm not going to have to do that. I don't have to stand before some spirit being and talk about what I did with my life. I account to myself. I'm in charge of myself. That's how an ungodly man talks. But a godly man says, I belong to the Lord. I was bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 tells me, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? 
whom you have from God and that you are not your own? That's an incredible verse. I love that verse. Like, you don't even own yourself. You don't get to do with your body whatever you want to do, as the modern sexual revolution ethics says. One gal posted on my wall this week on Facebook. She said, she said, why don't we just get off people and let people do whatever they want with their bodies? Well, that sounds really sort of cool in our culture and really novel, but let's be really honest. You don't even own yourself. You don't get to do whatever you want to do with your body. God says, I own you. I created you. I keep you alive. I give you breath. I keep your heart going. Like, how sick have we become? We've become little gods who are just boasting in how great we are. Look how awesome I am. And God's saying, you know, it's like this scene in the Avengers. Did you guys ever see that movie? Where, so I think it's Avengers 1. And there's a scene at the very end where this guy says, I'm God. You know, I can't remember which evil guy it is. But then, then Hulk picks him up and Hulk grabs him and he starts bam, 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 just bashing him into the ground. And he just, and there's a huge crater in the ground and he's just, he's just reeling in pain. And Hulk says, you're a puny God. And I get that scene here. God says, you don't even own yourself, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. You're a puny little God. When are you going to surrender to me? See, a godly man says that I belong to the Lord. He owns me. Number two, a godly man says everything I have belongs to him. I don't own this stuff. From the very beginning, it was never mine. Like, transfer the title, guys. Transfer the title on your home. Transfer the title on your car. Transfer the title of your bank account to God. Make sure it says God's. Tis. In Haggai, we read that the gold is mine. And the silver is mine, declares the Lord. What does that mean? It means 100%. It's all his. A godly man says, number three, everything I have is a gift. Paul says to the Corinthians, what do I have that was not given to me from Jesus? Isn't that true? It's all a gift. The people in your life, think about it. The parents you have, the spouse you have, the kids you have, the friends you have, the pastors you have, the neighbors you have. Then the resources in life. They're all a gift. The air you breathe, the water you drink, the food you eat, the shelter you live in, the days, the time, the health, the money, the job. It's all a gift. God just gives and gives and gives. And that's the amazing thing. We're supposed to reflect the image of God and we're his children and we're so stingy. And God is saying, I've been setting an example for you your entire life that I just give and give and give and give and give. And I haven't even mentioned the most important things. He gives us his righteousness and his holiness, his love and his grace, his mercy and his forgiveness. And then he goes to the cross and he gives his body and his blood. He gives it all. Everything is a gift. Oh, dear friend, if you're here today as a non-Christian, do you understand that the heart of the gospel is that God gave his body for you in Jesus Christ? He gave his blood for you in Jesus Christ. He literally laid down his life for you. So just trust him today. Transfer the ownership of your life to him. And as Christians, we need to do the same thing. 
Number four, a godly man says, I'm a steward for the Lord. I'm his manager. So here's the thing. If I belong to the Lord and everything I have is a gift, then I'm simply a manager. I mean, my attitude becomes like, not what do I get to do with the money that I own? It becomes, Lord, what do you want me to do with the money you've given me because it's not mine? What do you want me to do with it? And my attitude becomes, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to help this situation with your money? Do you want me to take that trip overseas with my time? Do you want me to alleviate that burden over there? Where where can I serve you, Lord? Here's the principle. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Dollar sign. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. See, the first fruits are the first apples of the tree. It's the first crops. It's the first corn that comes off the ear. It's, 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 and in our day, you know what it is? It's the first paycheck. It is. Honor the Lord with your first fruits. Are you giving your first fruits to the Lord? Honestly, sadly, many Christians are not. According to a recent study I looked up this week from the Barna Group, there was 44% among Christian men and women Listen to this, 44% of Christian men and women gave nothing to any Christian ministry last year whatsoever. Can you imagine that? A whole year, nothing. Now, what does God think about that? Listen to this one, four out of every 10 adults give nothing to the church. That means 40%, theoretically, 40% of you give nothing to the church. The church that serves you that loves you, that supports you, that counsels you, that preaches to you, that helps you. Nothing. Nothing to the church. Nothing to further the work of God. No first fruits. No gift. No consideration of God and his kingdom. Just me, my family, and who? Whom? I. That's it. It's so sad. Well, let me end by motivating you with the kindness of God, okay? Because If we will learn to give God our first fruits, what does he promise? Proverbs 3.10. This is the very next verse. Proverbs 3.9-10. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions with the first fruits of all your increase. What does verse 10 say? It says, Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. In other words, God is saying, I'll bless you, right? This isn't prosperity teaching. This is just a, a, a principle that God has said. What you sow, you will reap. What you, if you seriously, if you serve, if you bless others, if you give, if you show God that you are committed to serving his kingdom, he says, I'll bless you. You know why? Because he'll entrust you with more because he can entrust you with what he's already given you. And then Malachi 3.10, God says, I will open the windows of heaven and I will pour out a blessing and there will not be room enough to receive it. In other words, so much will come back. You won't even know what to receive. Job at the end of his life, God gives him back how many... Tenfold. He gives a hundredfold. He just keeps giving and giving and giving and giving. So do we believe that? Friends, listen, you cannot outgive God. So I appeal to you, my dear people. I appeal to you. Trust God. He will never fail you. He will meet all of your needs. Well, we've considered these three things this morning regarding money. We're to manage it wisely, esteem it rightly, share it generously, or it will destroy us. And if we fail to do it, it will. It will destroy us. But If we learn to handle money in God's way, then listen, we will be the embodiment of Paul's words that godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. And and, and that's a big encouragement to me, and I hope it is to you this morning. Let's follow his example. 
You know why? Because someday, if you're a young person now, or maybe you're older, but someday, if you have the chance to walk in the park with your grandchildren, all right, they won't be impressed by your academic qualifications. They won't be particularly impressed with a watch on your wrist or the car you're driving. But you know what, I, you know what they'll remember for a long, long, long time? That my papa, my grandpa, my papa, whatever you use, all right, was a contented and humble man. He was a contented and humble man. He had a contented heart. One final song, I'll leave you with this. Ray Stevens, a southern songwriter from Georgia, said it so well. He said, Itemize the things you covet as you squander through your life. Bigger cars, better houses, term insurance on your wife. Tuesday evenings with your harlot. And on Wednesdays, it's your charlatan. Your analyst is high upon your list. 86 proof alcohol. Anesthetic, prop you to the top where the smiles are all synthetic and the ulcers never stop. And when they take the final inventory, yours will be the same sad story. Everywhere, no one will really care. No one more lonely than this wretched, morbid man. Let's have your autograph. Endorse your epitaph. Spending counterfeit incentive, wasting precious time and health, placing value on the worthless, disregarding priceless wealth. You can wheel and deal with the best of them. You can steal it from the rest of them. You know the score. Their ethics are a bore. But did you see your children growing up today? And did you hear the beauty of their laughter as they set about to play? And did you smell the fragrance of the roses in your garden? Did the morning sunlight light your eyes and bright up your day? Do you qualify to be alive? Or is the limit of your senses so as only to survive? Hey, you better take care of business, Mr. Businessman, before it's too late. Imagine going home to your wife and your kids today with a whole new spirit of godliness with contentment, which is great gain. Let's pray. Father, we all need help, and we beg you for mercy. And we ask, oh God, that Christ would be our treasure Lord, that we would stop and see our children growing up today, that we would stop and smell the roses, that we would stop and savor Christ. Love your church, serve your kingdom, Lord. Get us outside of our puny little vision for life, Lord, and cause us to be enamored with Christ and with all that you've provided for us, Lord. Believing you, trusting you by faith, knowing that, you know what? That, that this day will soon pass, this life will soon be over. And when it's over, we'll inherit Christ and heaven and eternity. And it's all ours, Lord. Free us from selfishness. Free us from ourselves, Lord. That's a miracle of grace. And we need you to work it in our heart. Come, Lord. Heal marriages. Heal families. Heal broken <coughs> leaders in homes. Men who are thinking right now, I have failed so bad. 
I have blown it so much. I have failed. Lord, would you comfort them with the gospel this morning? Of course they failed. We've all failed. Oh, thank God that we have forgiveness in Christ. And there's a new day, Lord. Would you strengthen us this day, Lord, with new resolve? We entrust ourselves to you afresh this morning. We surrender to you afresh this morning with a spirit of repentance and brokenness. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing verse 3 of Great is Thy Faithfulness. sin and a peace that endureth thy own dear presence to cheer and to all take a a moment of solitude uh, this afternoon just to get alone with God, to to ask Him, to invite Him into our our hearts and lives about the message that we heard this morning. And again, I want to encourage you, please, to um, husbands, wives, don't don't dog on each other about this. Just give it to Jesus, all right? And, And dads, let's lead. Let's lead. All right, now may the gospel comfort you and may you go in peace, and may you just be filled with fullness of joy this afternoon as you go. God bless you. Thank you so much for your time. You Don't forget dollar for missions. <laughs> Dave Reed was back there holding the thing. <laughs>